We're excited to be here. Uh, we have such long ties to Church of Living Water through Roger and Lenny and, and Anthony and Laura, and it's, it's uh, always just amazing uh, to come back here. And, and uh, you'll find out, when Anthony talked about being part of the board, I find out that I am in so far over my head, it's amazing. <laughs> I mean, it, it is like, but I've learned something as I've done that. And, and it's, when I started talking about that with the Lord, he didn't seem too worried about it. Uh, but I was like, God, I am so far in over my head. And he said, Benjamin, if you're not out there, if you're not in over your head, you're still in your boat. Because it's not till you get out of your boat that you feel like you're in over your head. And see, we sing these songs like uh, oceans, like you make me brave. And we love these songs, call me out upon the deep where feet may fail. And then we get out there and we panic. But it's the very thing we've been asking God to do for us. So we're, we're excited to be here. Um, I told, uh, Pam said she had something she wanted to interject maybe towards the end. And of course, you know, Pam, she has the freedom to do that at any time, and I'm sure she will. So we're excited to be here. One of the things that God tends to do with me from time to time is just drop these little sentences in on me that just cause me to chew on things for a long period of time. And so this has nothing to do with the sermon today, but it's a sentence that just kind of went off in me uh, this morning when I woke up. And it's, where there is no vision for the future, there's no power for the present. Where there is no vision for the future, there is no power for the present. Because the moment you lose your vision for the future in whatever area that is, if it's finances, the moment you lose a vision and think things will never change, you have short-circuited your source of provision. So there's no power in the present to change it. And it's true whether it's finances, whether it's relationships, whatever area of your life you're looking at, where you, where you have lost your vision, you have lost your power. That's just, has, like I said, has nothing to do with the message, but here we are. Turn to 2 Kings chapter 2. Let, let me just throw something out as you're turning there. Because it's, it's, it's interesting that Pastor Anthony talks about talked about discipleship, and we're going right back into that today. I, I, why is it that when I come here, I keep coming back to discipleship? Uh, so, uh, I got up the other day, uh, and God said, Benjamin, let me ask you a question. What is a disciple? And we've heard this before, so let me throw it out there. What's a disciple? A follower? I see, I always heard, my, my, the definition I always heard was a disciplined learner. And that's great, but then the next question was, well, if that's the case, God, or Benjamin, then what makes a disciple different than a student? Because, exactly, because it cannot be just about information. Right? The other thing is, norm, normally, now, there, there's some exceptions to the rule, I call them nuts, but there are some exceptions to the rule of people that really like school. They're students and they love the tests. They love all that stuff. See, a student is usually in school not by choice. 
a disciple has made the decision to learn and not only learn information, but also pattern their life after whoever they're following by choice. It's not about, I have to go through this process. It's, I choose to. I choose to follow Jesus. I choose to be a disciple. In whatever that looks like, I will conform my life to His. So are you in 2 Kings? We're going to talk about two people today, and you've probably heard this story and, and read it maybe hundreds of times. But it's always interesting that the more I get into this, the more I see things differently than I used to. Anyone ever get there that the same things that you read for years, all of a sudden, it's like, wait a minute. I know you just put that in there, God. Because I didn't see all this before. See, in, in 1 Kings chapter 19, God speaks to Elijah and he says, Go anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king, and then anoint Elisha as prophet in your place. That's 1 Kings chapter 19, right around verse 19, if I remember right. And then here we come to 2 Kings chapter 2, and you begin to see the story unfold of what's taking place in the last part of Elijah's life. Now, if you're like me, Elijah's name's only mentioned like twice between the, if I remember right, between those two, 1 Kings 19 and 2 Kings 2. And so we tend to think that it's a short period of time. But actually, six years have passed. So here's, and here's the thing, we'll get into this in just a moment, because we have the tendency to think that, okay, God, you've told Elijah to anoint Elisha, prophet in, in, your, in his place, and then so he just walked over to Elisha and anointed him and said, you're up, my time's over, here's the baton, let's go. But no, it was a six-year process, and it wasn't all up, it didn't take six years to put that much information into him. But he had to see the pattern. He had to see and, and begin to pattern his life after what the man of God previously before him had done. So we're going to walk through some things, and, and this is kind of my journey, and hopefully uh, you'll see yourself somewhere along the way that I didn't see myself when I started this. So 2 Kings chapter 2, it is said, And it came about when the Lord was about to take up Elijah by a whirlwind to heaven, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Now, here's some of the things. One of the things was God began to talk to me and say, okay, so let's look at what events happened in Gilgal throughout Scripture. Gilgal was the place that when they crossed the Jordan River, they took 12 stones with them, and when they got to Gilgal, they erected a monument there. They stacked the 12 stones as a monument and a memory of God bringing them across the Jordan River. For you and I, that would be us coming into salvation through Jesus. But there's some other things that happened in Gilgal. Gilgal is where Samuel anointed Saul king. Now remember who Saul was? Saul was the people's choice. Saul was the one who looked the part. Saul was the one who looked good in the people's eyes, kind of like Sometimes you and I, well, I'll say me, not you, because I know you guys are all better than that. So how me, I can go and I can look good on a Sunday, but then if you see me Monday through Saturday, my life might not measure up to what I look like on Sunday. 
See, I can look good for a period of time. I can look good in front of people, but my life might be crumbling behind the scenes. He was the people's choice. He was the one who looked good in front of the TV cameras. He was the one that they could parade out and say, Oh, look at this. This is our king. Anybody ever been there before? This was also the place where when Saul was waiting for Samuel to show up and Samuel was saying that I'm going to be there in seven days, Saul got tired of waiting, so Saul offered sacrifices himself. So this is where we determine how we're going to worship. Oh, uh, hey, I don't like the song the worship leader picked out today. I don't like those songs, so I'll sit this one out. I'm going to worship how I like to worship. It has to be done my way. This was also the, the place where when you look at that, I will serve how I want to serve. Oh, you want me to serve here? No, I'm sorry, that's not my calling. I will serve how I want to serve, not how God you're asking me to serve. Love to tell you a story. You're going to find out more things about me when I sat here for eight years than you ever learned. We had, we had just stepped away from a church. I'd been in a kind of, for lack of a better term, I guess you'd call it an executive pastor, and, and we had stepped away from the church plant. It had been about two years, and we came, and we sat down here at Church of Living Water, and in my heart I was going, God, 90 days. 90 days you're moving me out. 90 days you've got things for me to do. Hello. So somewhere, and it was probably within the first couple weeks, they got ready to take the offering here one day, and I was sitting over about where Richard is, and John Kiros came to me. We'd only met, again, the only people I knew here basically were Roger and Lenny and Anthony and Laura and maybe a handful of other people. And John came to me and said, Brother, would you help me with the offering today? And the first thing that went through my mind wasn't, I'd be delighted. The first thing that went through my mind is, don't you know who I am? I have a resume. I'm an ordained man of God. I helped plant four churches. We planted one of them in a bar. I just got back from a church plant. I was an administrative pastor. And you're asking me to take the offering? Now, all that transpired in about 10 seconds. And in the moment of that, I stopped and went, what are you doing? What was going on? I was wanting to serve God my way. It had nothing to do with being a servant. It had nothing to do with doing what God was asking me to do. I was only going to serve my way when it was convenient for me. Gilgal. Gilgal was also the place where when the children of Israel come out of Egypt and they had once again circumcised everybody, it said that God rolled away the reproach of Egypt from them in Gilgal. God rolled away the reproach. 
you know, there's times like when, when we first come to Christ, I don't know how it was for you, but when I got up and looked in the mirror the next morning, nothing had changed. I hadn't lost weight. I wasn't any better looking. Quite truthfully, the mindset hadn't changed a whole lot. I knew something had happened. My heart had been racing in my chest. But there's not a whole lot on the outward appearance that had changed. So the rolling of the reproach of Egypt or the rolling, the removing us out of the world is a process for most of us. See, before Christ, it's like being caught up in a spider web. I am stuck. I have no choice. I am just, I'm stuck in this rut. I'm in this life. I don't know how to get out of it. And I'm just waiting for the enemy to come and have me for lunch. But once God begins to roll that reproach, I had an interesting thing that happened just a, a couple of weeks ago. We were having a, a, a barbecue thing at the church, and I went into one of our storage areas to get uh, our grill out because I was going to be barbecuing food for uh, the church as we got together. And as soon as I stepped through the roll-up door, I was hit with a, this big spider web. And of course, the first thing you do is you start doing this and start trying to pull it off of you, Right? It's like, because it, you don't see it coming, and all of a sudden it's just there. So many times, you and I have had the reproach of the world rolled off of us, but from time to time, there's still a spider web that wants to entangle us. There's still a spider web there that's a nuisance, and if we don't get that off of us, it's like there's more that's coming. Right? So Gilgal was a place also where they rolled the reproach off, of, God rolled the reproach off of, off of the children of Israel from Egypt. Now, as we're going through this, Elijah knows his time is at an end. And the truth of the matter is, Elisha knows too. This isn't something that caught either one of them by surprise. And yet, here's one of the things that transpires. When uh, Elijah is looking at Elisha, and he says, and Elijah went up with Elijah from Gilgal, and Elijah said to Elijah, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. Please stay here. How many of you know you have an opportunity, if you so desire, you can stay exactly where you are? It's your choice. And truthfully, if Elisha had stayed there, he'd have probably had a tremendous ministry. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. I won't leave you. And so they went down to Bethel. What's the definition? Um, I know all, half of you know the, the answer to this. The, the definition of Bethel is house of God. So the next part of the journey is going down to Bethel. What's Bethel? Bethel is the house of God. It's where it's no longer important about me worshiping the way I want to worship. It's no longer important about me having to serve the way I want to serve. Now I'm getting immersed in a house of God. I'm getting immersed in a local church and it, it, it no longer becomes about me. It no longer becomes about me and the gifts I'm wanting God to develop in me. It now becomes about those around me. It's not enough for me to get to where I'm going if I'm not taking everybody else with me. It's got to be about more than me. 
You've got to get to the point where it's not about you and what God's doing in your life now. It's about, I cannot make this journey alone. God has immersed me in a local fellowship, and I have to be a part. I have to find those people that are on the fringe. I have to see those people that might be straggling a bit, and I have to pull them along with me. It's not about just attending anymore. It's not about coming in here and occupying a chair. There's got to be a transformation that takes place. I've got to go from a mindset of, God, what is it that you're wanting to do in me? It's my gift. It's my anointing. It's all those different things. It's got to change from that to, God, you have put me in a house of believers. How can I release, God, the part of you that's in me in them? Bethel is where God changed Jacob's name from deceiver, heel grabber, supplanter. Been in them all. To may God prevail. See, there became a point where my 90-day period was up and then it was six months then it was seven months, then it was one year, two years, three years. God, do you know what you're doing? Four years. God, I didn't sign up for this. Five years. Six years. God, are you ever going to use me again? Seven years. To out of the blue in year eight, everything burst open. What was taking place during that time? I was learning to get out of my own head about, oh God, I want this anointing, I want this gift. How do I develop the gift? How do I develop the anointing? No, it was about God. How do I have an impact on those who are in this fellowship? How do I have an impact? How, God, I have to get to the place where it ceases becoming about me and it becomes about you through me to somebody else. Because God blessed Abraham not to just bless him. He was blessed to be a blessing. If we don't get beyond ourselves, we've missed it. We've missed it. And, and I'll tell you, uh, it was so funny how all this transpired. Because unknown to me, a pastor in Nevada at one point was talking with Pastor Anthony and he said, hey, would you send me a couple messages that you've done? He goes, I just, you know, I just, just, want, just want to get fed. Send me a couple messages. And so Pastor Anthony sends a couple messages and then pulled one out on a CD that I had done here. And just, I'm, I'm sure he didn't really even give it a second thought, just tossed it in and sent it. And I got a call from the pastor saying, I want you to come. This was about seven years ago. I want you to come and I want you to speak. And I'm, we're going to do a three-day revival. And I'm going, dear Lord, I don't know that I have three messages that will go together. 
I don't know that I have three messages that, that, that kind of will dovetail with one another. And, and I'm, I'm really being honest with you. You know, my, my gift is not evangelism. And so I'm thinking three-day revival. Oh, is this going to be interesting? And so I, I told him up front, I said, listen, if you're wanting somebody to come and bring an anointing to save souls, and if you're wanting somebody to come with the gift of evangelism, can I do that? Yeah, I probably can. But that's not going to be the benefit to your church that you're looking for. You need to go find somebody that has that gift and let him release that. And he looked at me and he goes, that's not it at all. He goes, you preached a message at Church of Living Water. And your pastor sent it to me. I have worn that CD out. I don't care what else you do for the other two, two days. That message I want to hear. And that message my people need to hear. So that's what opened the door. That's what gave us the entrance into the church. And it was another four and a half years before we ever got asked when he was retiring to come. But had that not happened, so I, we're indebted. We're, we're indebted to the, uh, and I, I say this all along, I, I love the gift of God that's in this man. He was at our church a couple weeks ago, and oh my gosh, people... People in, in, our, in our fellowship, one gentleman in particular who, who really has a, a strong prophetic bend, he, he came up to me uh, a couple days later. He goes, he's right in the middle of a message and he just stops and prophesies over somebody and he goes right back to the message. How does he do that? Because that's just not his framework. So we had an awesome time. So back to this. This is where Jacob's name was changed. This is also where God's promise was renewed about the promise to Israel and, and making you a great nation again. This is where God, because, you know, there's so many times we get a promise, and it, since it doesn't happen overnight, there's times where as you go down the road, you begin to have that second thought about, God, are you ever going to do, I believe I heard from you, but are you ever going to do what I thought, what I believe I heard you say? And this is the point where once you get plugged into a fellowship and it quits being about you, then all of a sudden God starts renewing the promise again in your heart and in your mind. This is also the place where Jacob saw the ladder with the angels going up and down. This is the place, now I'm not saying that you don't have your spiritual sight before that, but this is when your spiritual sight really becomes unlocked. Once it stops being about you, you'll be amazed how quickly God will open your eyes to things in the Spirit. I used to be frustrated, and I'm, again, I am just being as honest as I can be with you. I used to be frustrated at times when I would sit here because I would see the gift of prophecy that would work in, in Pastor Anthony. I would see the gift of prophecy that worked in Ann. I would see the gift of prophecy that would work in Becky. And I would be like, God, I want that so bad. And it's just like I have this logical brain that, that just won't let go. And so I, and I was frustrated because I was like, all I want is for someone to systematically teach how it is they hear from God. Because it's like they hear from God and you ask them, how, how, well, how do you, you know, how, did, how do you do that? It's just the way I, I just hear and just speak. Well, that does somebody like me no good. I would, I, I'm just being honest. 
I get so frustrated because it's like all that's the teacher gifted me. All I want is somebody to systematically teach how this works. And I don't care if it's A, B, C, D. I don't care if it's four steps. It's just like, just give me a hint. It's like three syllables. First syllable sounds like anything. And God said, well, there's another year. <laughs> oh, Jesus. So they get to Bethel, now we're in chapter verse 3. And then the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elijah and said, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you to do? And he said, Yes, I know. Now, my version, the one that plays inside of my head, see, this version says, Yes, I know, be still. My version says, I get it, shut up. Elijah saying, Listen, I knew when the day began, this was the day. I knew this isn't going to catch me by surprise. It's not catching Elijah by surprise. They had walked together long enough that both of them knew what was coming. And Elijah's just saying, I mean, even though they're giving him the word, he's like, listen, I already know that. Just move on, would you? Just go on down the road. Prophesy to somebody else. And Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And they went to Jericho. Now, it had been really easy for him to stay in the house of God. It had been really easy for him to stay at Bethel. I heard a pastor say one time, and this was something that really, really, at the first when I got it, I thought, you know, Benjamin, your thinking is so wrong. He said, I, this church had asked him to come and speak. They were between pastors. And he, he went and did the morning service. And after the service, he's kind of standing at the back of the church. And the Lord speaks to him. And he's really not much of a pastor. He's more of a prophetic gift. And the, the Lord speaks to him and says, they're going to ask you to be the pastor. And so when they did that, he wasn't looking for a position. He already had a position, a very good position. And he was looking around the church. <clears throat> and the Lord spoke to him and said, listen. If you want to, you can become the pastor of this church, and I will bless it. This church will grow, and I will bless it. And only you and I will know that you miss me. See, because I'm, I'm of the mindset that it's, if, if I, you know, and again, my mindset following God early on was, it's either I'm getting it all right or I'm all wrong. There is no middle ground as a loving father. See, I didn't, I didn't have God as a loving father that, listen, I'm going to bless you, Benjamin, but there, there, you can be, you'll be blessed here, you'll be blessed here, but if you will finally get to where I want you to go, the windows of heaven are already open, and I'll pour everything out on you. But it was, so it was, it was kind of a shock to me when I heard that, like, because I'd never, I'd never thought about that. God, you'll bless me even though I'm really not stepping into all that you've called me to do. He says, yes, why wouldn't I? I'm, I'm a loving father. I, I appreciate your heart and your gift. That became really important to me when, after eight years of sitting in the chair, I get a phone call and they say, Benjamin, we want you and Pam to come pastor the church in Nevada. Because 
my eight years here, I had gotten really comfortable in the house of God. You guys had become my comfort zone. You guys had become my boat. And as much as I was thinking about it, it was, you know, I, I, I've always kind of had, there's scriptures that you, that some scriptures you just like more than others, right? There's some that just hit you and you just kind of go, I don't know about that one. Well, a scripture I'd always wrestled with was the one that said, if you don't hate your mother and father, your sons and daughters more than me, you cannot be my disciple. I wrestled with that. And when this opportunity presented itself, can I tell you, the issue wasn't us moving to Nevada. The issue was, if I go, I have to leave this. I have to leave both our children and their husband and wife and, and our grandkids and the people that I have spent years developing relationships with, all the people that I'm close to, were here in this house. And God, you're asking me to leave all of that and go somewhere else where I don't know anybody. That was tough. That was tough. Now, as I say that, uh, let me say this. God might call you to do something like that. Might, God might call you to stay in Fresno and be right here with all your family. And, 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 and Pastor Anthony talked about that two weeks ago when, when he was at our church about it. He was so thankful that God has allowed him to stay here in town, have all his family around. There, what's the difference between the two? Nothing. He was obedient. I was obedient. That's all it is. So don't get caught up. You know, it's not something great if God calls you to move away from your family. No, it's none of that. It's just, will you be obedient to what I'm asking you to do? It's no different than somebody else being obedient to what God asked them to do. Obedience is obedience. That's all it is. So they walk across, they, they uh, both leave Bethel and they go to Jericho. So what, and again, what is Jericho famous for? The walls coming down. See, even though we've left Gilgal, even though we've got past the point of worshiping the way we want to worship, serving the way we want to serve, and we've gotten immersed in the house of God and it's becoming more important about everybody else and not leaving a soul behind and, and, and making sure that everybody's going together and, and everybody's part of the group, there's still more. There comes to that place of Jericho where the walls fall down. I no longer have an image that I'm trying to keep up and prop up. The walls have come down and now I just live authentically and what you see is what you get. See, one of the biggest parts about discipleship, it isn't the information. It's about the you get to see the individual in every kind of circumstance and situation and you get to see them be real. So many times in church, we don't get to the point where when we're struggling with stuff, we refuse to be real with people. We refuse to say, I have an issue that I'm walking through. Will you pray with me? I have an issue that I'm dealing with, and I don't care who you are, how old, how young, everybody in this room, you're walking through something. The question is, are you going to get to the place where you are going to let down those walls 
and be real with yourself and take an honest look at where you and I are and let other people into our world and be vulnerable enough to have them take our hearts out, step on it if they so choose, hand them back to us and say thank you, have a good day. We've got to be real. We've got to take that place of saying, God, I no longer have I, I no longer have a life in this. I used to teach when we talked about Timothy training and talked about the new creation. I said, I wish I could just, you know, and I'm, I'm morbid, so I'll, I'll tell you that right up front. I wish I could stretch a dead body up here and just start screaming and yelling at it and kicking it. Because what's the dead body going to do? Nothing. We got to get to the place where, in that respect, we're dead bodies. We don't react to what's going on. We will respond, but we will not react. There's a difference. Jericho is also the place where, of all the things, God does something that is so absolutely out of the box and new for the children of Israel. Can you imagine you've got a couple million people and they're marching around this wall and they're staying quiet? Can you imagine as they're walking around and they're going, okay, we did this yesterday and the day before and the day before. And it's not like we're seeing the wall begin to crack or anything. It looks just like it did day after day after day. And then, of course, everybody knows that when you march around a wall for seven days and seven times on the seventh day, that, of course, the wall falls over. Right? This is where God is doing something so far out of the box and so new. And I, and I have a question for you right here. See, you know, Isaiah 49 talks about God doing a new thing and will I not show it to you? And I was thinking about, and, and, uh, about that and I was like, okay, God, I don't know how, Anthony, if you're like me, how many times have you heard somebody use that scripture and, and preach a message about God's doing a new thing? I mean, if you've been in church, you've probably heard at least 30 or 40. And I always used to say, God, how come we don't see the new thing? He said, Benjamin, you don't give up the old thing. See, the biggest hindrance to God doing a new thing is you and I not letting go of the old thing. The biggest thing to God doing something new is you and I have gotten so comfortable in the way that God uses us that we're not open to something new. God, when, when I get up and I, I teach like this, you move. God, when I get up and I sing these songs, the congregation responds. God, when I get up, God, when I have a word for somebody, it comes this way. And you will not allow God to do something new. And so oftentimes the old just stays in place. I was in Estonia a few years ago and I, I wasn't even speaking at the meeting. I was just there because uh, my best friend in Estonia, Peter, was uh, interpreting. And so the meeting goes on, and, and at the end, they're getting ready to pray for people. And, and I'm just, you know, just kind of hanging out in the back. And the pastor of the church comes and asks me to pray for him. And, and I do, and God shows up. It's great. And then uh, there's these three ladies. One of them is standing here, and the other two are sitting right here in the chairs. And the lady says, I want you to pray for me. And I go, okay. 
and she reaches out her hands like, like that. Go ahead, Andrew. And so I turn that way. I just took her hands like this, and so I'm sitting here holding her hands. And God says, Benjamin, sing over her. I'm like, no. <laughs> he said, Benjamin, sing over her. I said, God, I am, to this day, I, I, I do music. I am still so self-conscious about my own voice. I said, no, I'm not doing that. And I'm sitting here locked. I'm looking this lady in the eyes the whole time. And God, are, God and I are having this argument. And he's going, Benjamin, sing over her. And I said, no, I'm not doing that. And he said, Benjamin, you're thinking more about you than you are about her. Ouch. So then I tried a different tack. God. You haven't told me, what, why would I sing over her? You haven't told me what to sing. He said, why would I tell you what to sing if you're not going to be obedient? <laughs> if you're not taking step number one, why would I give you step number two? I felt so bad for this poor lady because I felt like this is all happening in like 15 seconds. And, I, and again, you have to know when you go overseas and people want, to pray, want you to pray for them, they just say, pray whatever God puts on your heart. And so I'm having this argument with God about this going, wait a minute, you don't want to hear what's in my heart right now. So he says, Benjamin, pray over her. I said, yeah, okay. Still wasn't fully engaged. So, God, why do you want me to pray? He goes, I want you to release peace over her. So I begin to pray and just sing and, and, and sing about the peace of God. And I watched her face begin to change. And then after a, a couple minutes, God says, okay, now switch and begin to release joy. And I begin to pray and release joy. And as I did, I'm sitting here holding her hands and she's pulling me to the floor. I mean, she's collapsing like, like you just imploded a building. And, and as that happens, the two ladies who are sitting here are now sprawled out this way across the chairs. And I'm sitting there going, what just happened? And so Peter, who has come back in case I needed help with interpreting, is standing there and he, his, his eyes are good size. And he looks at me after, you know, we, I finish and we move on. He goes, Benjamin, I have never seen you do that before. And I said, I said, Peter. I've never seen me do that before. I said, I have never in my life done that. So let me ask you a question. If, if, if you've been in church for a period of time, you have, you have a comfort zone of how you do things. So here's my question to you. What would new look like to you? You might have been ministering for 30, 40, 50 years. You develop this pattern, this, this way of how God does it. So, but my question is, what would new look like to you? Because new is where life comes. New is where freshness comes. Does God show up when we stay with our pattern? He does. Moses is a great example. Hey, Moses, I want you to strike the rock. Hey, strike the rock water. Everybody's happy. Next time around, Moses, I want you to speak to the rock. Mm -hmm. Time out, God. You move when I strike the rock. 
God, I want you to speak, or Moses, I want you to speak to the rock. No, 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 no. You move when I strike the rock. I know you move when I strike the rock. Moses, I want you to speak to the rock. Nope. Boom. What happened? Water still came out. God still met the needs of the people, but it cost Moses dearly. Because he was so caught up in the old, he could not embrace the new. Does 